Okay, thanks very much for um, joining us for a really, really interesting morning of, of talks and presentations and I'm delighted now to introduce our final panel of the morning um, in which Mary Kelly's going to chair um, a panel on uh, sustaining your practice. Thanks, Mary. My name is Mary Kelly. Um, I'm an artist and I'm currently chairperson of the, on the board of the BAI. Um, I have three very renowned artists beside me here. They've gone the distance, they've gone through all the hoops, um, they've, they're established and they've done this over a long period of time. And what they're going to do with us is share some of the things that they come across on that journey. Because as you know, being an artist is a brutally tough business actually. And very often it's not just about being creative, it's, there's a hundred other things that you have to be. Um, I was going to give you a little background to each of these artists, but in fact I'm going to let you, because of time constraints, I'm going to let you look them up on the internet, but I'm sure you know them anyway. This is Nick Miller, Susan McWilliams and Geraldine O'Reilly. And the first question I'm going to ask is probably the most important part of an artist's practice. How do you keep going? How do you keep faith in yourself? How do you survive from a creative point of view? Because that's probably one of the most important questions at the end of the day. And the first person I'm going to ask is Geraldine. Um, well, when I was considering that question, um, I, I actually, by accident, you know, sometimes you're on the computer and something comes up uh, just timely. And I saw this quote, by, um, which I thought was very appropriate in the way that I feel about how I've managed to survive this Lent. Uh, it was from Seamus Heaney, and he was talking to a group of students in Boston when he was teaching there. And he just said, getting started, keeping going, getting started again in art and life. And I thought, well, that's exactly how it has been. I think when I started out first, I thought, you know, at some point in my career, I will reach the top of my career, and then that will be it. But in fact, in my 30 years, I have never felt that. I've always, you know, I'd have an exhibition, and uh, you'd be all excited about it, it would build up into a kind of a crescendo, and then you would be deflated afterwards, and then you would have to start again. And that has become the way I have dealt with it, in that um, I just keep going, basically. So you feel like it just you survive from one show to the next? Well, uh, not, not just that. I, I think that like when I was in art school, you were given the idea that, that somehow there was a destination, do you know what I mean? But in fact, in real life, there isn't a destination. It's, it's a series of, you know, living and eating and painting and making prints or whatever it is that you do. And it's a continuum more than anything, you know? Well, that's the way I feel it has, it has been for me. Um, you know, and, and how, I, how I sustain that in that um, I never really approach my artwork in terms of it being a commercial product or anything like that. It was always, uh, uh, you know, I would pick a subject matter that personally interested me, that I wanted to kind of learn about something or understand about something or, um, and, and, and make it. And I, I think in some ways that might be difficult for people who followed my career because sometimes I tend to jump around. I'll 
discover something that uh, really, really interests me, and I'll go off on tangent after that. But uh, for me, the art making has been the way that I have come to understand the world or my world. Susan, and can I ask you, have you ever hit a brick wall? Um, definitely, yes. And I think um, probably, probably when I look back, I'm sure I've hit more walls than I remember hitting because I think that case of just kind of keeping going and doing it again. And, and I always think that kind of analogy that people talk about sort of childbirth and that if you remember the pain, you wouldn't do it again. I often think that, you know, that must be similar to working on big projects where, you know, sometimes you feel like you've nearly killed yourself, but you sort of, you just do it again. You know, somehow there's an impulse to explore something else, to, to get on, to process that, to develop that and to do it again. So I think, you know, that kind of ability that we have to kind of like recover from things and, and to keep going. So um, in terms of brick walls, definitely I can think of some, some points back when I, I think, yeah, I was really kind of struggling thinking, well, how, how does this, you know, maybe... Oh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago or something like that, you know, what, where, where is this going? What is this? Is it going to be like this, just a day a week teaching, struggling in my studio? You know, what, how, where is it going to lead to? Um, and, and for me, certain things that I would describe as pivotal sort of shifts um, or, or, or things that I did then that had a huge impact on, on how my work developed were sort of just shifts in, in terms of... Um, how, how my working practice changed. So at a certain point, I was making works um, quite sort of, um, I suppose, just by myself in the studio. And then the nature of the work, I started to, to go and work outside of the studio to work with archives, to work with other human beings who were working within this field of, of interest that I was exploring through my work. Um, and that was kind of quite nerve-wracking to do, but it really opened doors. Um, and that's something that I, I keep, I keep realising about myself and, and how I develop my work, that I, I, I do things that I'm nervous about doing, and I have the capacity to, to get through those things, and those things then can lead to other opportunities. So, um, When you say there, Susan, you get nervous about, you know... Can you describe that a bit more to me? Well, so one of the things I would describe as a really pivotal point in, in the development of my practice was around 2005 when I had been communicating with a, a researcher in Paris who had this laboratory where she was exploring a thing called fingertip vision. And I asked her if I could go and visit her and film in her laboratory with her and her friends. And I can't tell you how nervous I was about doing this and going into somebody else's space, me, the artist, going into this different world, taking my video camera. Would I get the right footage? What would that day be like? And it was an incredible experience for me, which I always kind of remember as something that sort of got me to another space and then led me to um, realizing that I could, could, could work with other people, that I could go to them, I could enter into those other worlds, tell them about my interests in their field of practice. Um, and so doors just kind of gradually started to open to me. And did you find, you said earlier when you were working on your own, <coughs> you found that you were beginning to hit brick walls? Or I was getting bored, you know, and that's yeah. the other thing. If I was hitting a point where I just thought, well, this, I'm, I'm bored, I know, th I know this, I know what it is. Mm. So I suppose it's that thing and the challenge of kind of uh, creating situations where really there are kind of questions that you're putting to yourself that you don't really understand the nature of the question, but it's challenging you mm -hmm. to think and to shift things and to try new process of working. And those are the kind of things then that would enable me to develop my work and, and you know, Test, test new ways of, of either researching or test new ways of um, presenting the work or configuring it or installing it. 
or even the interaction with the other people. Yeah. It feeds back. You don't yeah. have and, the, and then that has led to other things where I would write about my work and would be asked to write about it for different contexts that aren't necessarily just art world contexts as well. Yeah. Very good. Nick. Hey, Mary. Hello. <laughs> now, ask me a question because I can't respond to anything without a question. Okay. Um, how, have you, first of all, have you hit brick walls? Are there times when you just think, God, what's all this about? What am I doing? Uh, I can genuinely say that's a daily okay. experience to me. I don't, I, uh, I'm not being kind of trite about it. Mm. I can say this week, uh, that, uh, I suppose people perceive me and know me in public as a painter, but in essence, I see myself sort of more of a, as a performance artist. So when I asked you to ask me the question, mm. it is the question that makes me come alive and it's the same in work. So until I have a question in front of me or a person or a tree or a leaf or a twig or an experience or something directly facing off me, I, don't, I often feel like I don't exist. So it's putting myself in a situation that I then have to paint my way out of. That's my only way of doing it. I'll say this week I was, uh, had the beautiful experience of uh, Janet Milani, sculptor. You probably all know, I think she spoke yeah. here last year. She, she came up to me to sit for a portrait. I tried painting her a couple of years ago, didn't work. Well, it worked. But it was just too, it, uh, something about it what didn't resolve itself as a painting. So she was, she's, she was in Ireland and coming, and she came up to sit for me again. And I really, it, I was holding a brush, and it was meaningless to me. Completely, yeah. utterly meaningless to me. <clears throat> but luckily, you keep trying and you keep doing something. And that day was a complete Janet being an artist would understand exactly what I was going through. So nothing, you know, I tried 20 things and nothing happened. But I let, let the conversation of the day, the meeting with her as a person, sort of, what I do essentially is take the energy from outside, pass it through me and put it out again. That's my practice. And it's whatever I'm doing, that's what I do. So it's a very energy-based practice. So it's a lot dependent on my state of mind, my state of health, my state of being, and all those things are things you have to learn how to cultivate over time, over years, over uh, your practice. That is my practice, the cultivation of energy through painting. And to have the structure within yourself to, to survive that. Yeah, and you learn that over many years, what can, what helps that, what, with, what doesn't help that, you know, things like drinking doesn't help it because you can't, you, 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 you lose track, you know, so, but that's things you, sometimes when you're young it does help because it opens up a, a kind of openness in your mind that lets you be an artist, lets you have the fantasy of being an artist. I mean, essentially my life is a fantasy realized from being a young man who didn't go through art college, who didn't have any education in art, to being uh, a painter, still now I'm 55 it seems kind of miraculous to me but it is a miracle I make every day it's not a, it's nothing there is no I, I put it down I, I, I put it down to 
something a bit like if you're a professional tennis player. I play a lot of tennis. I took it up late at 48, and I now compete around the country and play. I got completely obsessed. So uh, it's the same thing. You only live by that moment of the meeting of the ball or the match, and it's over. Painting is sort of the same. If I stop painting tomorrow, who gives a shit? Nobody. It's over. So it's a very strange life, you, and every, there's no answer to the questions which you asked us in terms of everybody out there. Everybody has to find their own kind of uh, what is their engine of meaning and how they are present in the practice. It's a very odd business. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Mm. I don't know if that's helpful or not helpful. It's very helpful. I'll have a pause. Yeah. It is helpful, isn't it? <laughs> um, Geraldine, I'm going to go back to you. If, say you're very stuck, or you're at a stage when you're really wondering about it all, or wondering about your work, are there people in your life that you can call on, that you trust to help, or do you have to find it completely within yourself? Um, I, I, it, it has varied over the years. Um, like, I'm very interested in, in all the other art forms, okay? Like, for instance, if I go to the theatre or I go to music, I'll get a lot of energy from that, you know, to be in a, another type of creative space. Uh, I read a lot, uh, I walk a lot, and things like that. Um, I do... Um, so... It, 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 has it has varied quite a lot over the years. I, I can't say that there's, there's actually one, one thing. I don't have a lot of conversations with other artists about work, I have to admit. Or somebody you're close to? Um, somebody that I'm close to. No. It's not, not, nothing's, nothing's coming to mind. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it tends to be literature and other art forms, and then sometimes, like, uh, if I'm stuck, uh, I, like for instance, I started making some prints recently, etchings, and it was a place that I go to in Monaghan, in Glasslock, all the time. It's a piece of wood, or, uh, woodland, that's gone wild. And over the years, I've made etchings and drawings of, of this place. And I was stuck again there before Christmas. I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I went up to this place for a walk. And then I, so I said to myself, well, maybe I look at why this place means so much to me, rather than ask the question, what is the work going to be about? So I made a series of work about that, you know what I mean? So every time I hit a brick wall, I try and find some way. I may go off, like one of my favorite places is to go over to the Iron Islands uh, and go walking and go drawing or something like that. And then eventually something will, will arrive, something will catch my attention. And if it stays in my head long enough or the, the little sort of image that has come to me, and it stays maybe for six months or so, I, then I think there's something there, and I pull it, it's like a string, and it pulls me, and then I'm, I'm off again. I have been very lucky, I've only ever had one serious big block, and that was in my late 30s, where, I don't know, maybe through depression or something like that, uh, I found the whole thing meaningless. I, I suppose I was looking for meaning in it, you know what I mean? And it's a bit like, um, 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 what Nick said is like, you know, if, if you stopped in the morning, what does it matter? It only matters to yourself, mm. you, you know what I mean? And um, I, I, I was really trying to, you know, make work that really meant something in that very serious kind of way. But um, then I got very seriously ill in my early 40s. And then after that, I, I stopped questioning anything. I, I just said, do what you do best and stop at it. Somebody else can uh, analyze the work or see whether there's anything in it or not. Just do it. 
you know, yeah. and, and I haven't really looked back since in that way. Is that okay? That's <laughs> very good, yeah. Okay. Susan? Uh, do I talk to people about making my work? Or, or no, is there, because obviously you have to talk yeah. to an awful lot of people, yeah. you have to talk in lots of ways, but is there, when you get a real wobble, is, are there particular, you don't have to tell me who they are, but are there certain people that you really trust that you can say, am I, am I close here, am I, is this, am I way off? Mm -hmm. Have I lost, mm -hmm. have I unearthed myself, you know? Um, I think I'm quite lucky because I have, I have a few friends that I trust very well and I have two in particular uh, who I would talk to quite a lot. One of them is my sister, one of them is a friend who's also a filmmaker who lives in England. Uh, and it was funny because when I was talking to Mairead saying, oh, I'm coming and I'm doing this thing talking about sustaining your practice, Mairead said, oh, make sure, tell them to, to download Skype. <laughs> Because we, we Skype a lot, so we, we normally talk each week, we sometimes Skype a couple of times a week, and we do talk about making work. She's a filmmaker, I make films, so we share stuff in progress on Vimeo as well, we look at it. So, um, so I trust her. And, and I think that's so important about trusting. And it's all that thing about the conversations, not just about the work, but it's the giving out about stuff, about, you know, everything which we all do and we all need outlets and we need people who understand those things that we're kind of struggling with or, or coming up against. Um, and I'm very used to talking about the process of making work because I teach in an art college. So, uh, you know, the other thing I have to do is talk back to myself the way I would to a student <laughs> about how to get through and how to keep doing something or trying something or just doing something without knowing the outcome to see what's going to happen next. So, um, so yeah, have, having people that, um, that you can trust for me is, is really important and... Um, and has been really helpful for me developing work over the years. And I, and I enjoy those conversations for what they are as well, because you know, they'll go into tangents and other people always have references that you don't have. Yeah. Other people will always see different things in the work that you haven't thought about. Um, I've also... Um, done things you know with other artists in Dublin where we've you know we've organized to do studio visits between each other as well just to have those kind of conversations and those are also really nice because sometimes you can do those in a very relaxed kind of way which isn't isn't a kind of formal process as well um, so yeah that 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 would be important also I suppose yeah I do often write about my work and for me that's a way of thinking about it as well and reflecting back on it so having a conversation with yourself yeah. in your head but also when you when you know when i when i write about it i i start to think about it in different ways as well you're projecting it out yeah and i'm re-reading re it back not only to look at sentence construction but just to to you know it's like yeah the stuff that you sort of know once you write it down it's it sort of states it in a different way and maybe you rethink it in a different way uh, to yourself, but I mean, I suppose the, the studio for me functions as a conversation because of all the stuff that I have and piles of things and images and texts and what have you. So I suppose there are lots of ways that I have those conversations, but definitely trusted friends who, you know, I'm lucky to have, yeah. Very good. <clears throat> Nick? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, I suppose one of the things of not going through an art college education or not growing, I, I never grew up came through the art world with a peer group, really. So I was always a kind of solo oddity and trying to wishing I was had a peer group and not 
having that. And artists were kind of strange to me. I never felt that. I never really felt quite like I was an artist. I always felt like I was trying to find my way into that. I always, I've often thought of myself as sort of a Sunday painter out of control. And <laughs> that, in, in truth, I hold that meaning of that quite dearly in me. It's mm. because there's an innocence which I try and protect and I try and do that. Over the years, as I particularly, I, I, I grew up in London and moved to Ireland in 1984 when I left finishing my education, which was in something called development studies, politics, economics, so how the world has ended up in such a big mess. Um, and I moved to the west of Ireland just on a random thing to paint. And I, I, I suppose uh, since then, I, just, I decided to make my own education in art, and that has often happened through other painters or other, other artists I have met. And some have become very important to me over the years. Uh, and usually they're much older than me. So mm. I, I've tend to look, I, I tend to look and find friends who are now all in their 70s, 80s, or dead. So uh, it's been very useful for me. I'm very close to, say, Patrick Hall, who lives near me in Sligo. And I, I can't describe the meaning of that friendship in relation to my work. It's somebody, in fact, when I first met you, yeah. We, my, myself and Patrick, were teaching in Dunleary at the time. That's right. And, and yeah. of course, you first started. Yeah. And that uh, friendship grew over the years. Yeah. And it's, he lives in the middle of the country in Sligo. I live another bit. And, I, and he's in his 80s now. He's not well. All those kind of things. Yeah. You, those things are so meaningful. They are. Uh, but that's also just friendship. I don't have many of those. I've got a very small circle of, and a declining circle. But like Geraldine said, in a way, about a sort of uh, an encounter with mortality and all, all, all that, those kind of things throw you back in a different way. And when I was younger, I had those conversations with paintings. I see paintings in museums as portals back to the artist to some degree. If I'm sitting in front of a Caravaggio, I'm, fine, I'm, I'm kind of trying to bring my myself through the painting back in time and it gives me something back so the converse, conversations are all kinds of things they're things in your mind they're not some of them are real some of them are friendships some of them are uh, into in I'm also I'm married I have a wife she has no interest in art that's and we've been married for God knows how long I don't know how that happened it's kind of well, it's not that she's no interest in art but I, in a way I'm lucky it, there's a there's a space it's a bit like the tennis it's somewhere I go which has nothing to do with all of this, yeah. so I've always needed that. Maybe because I didn't come from art, I kind of need not art in order to to, yeah. to go back to. Yeah. But you know, my friendship with Barry Cook was really important. Not, we never talk about, nor with Pat do I ever very rarely talk about painting. Only time I talk about the painting, I've just finished a very big portrait of him last year. And uh, then I, I sometimes like letting them into the painting process somehow because it's a direct collaboration and it was helpful yeah you, you know he'd literally give me advice take that bit out i go okay gone better painting so uh but that's very rare that wouldn't happen often but it's those kind of friendships i can't say how important they are i'm actually in a state of fear when the, when i've none of those left because i haven't cultivated a younger generation of connections so I'm, I'm then sitting there up in the northwest of Ireland on my Todd going, 
I'm in a big warehouse. I'm in a warehouse on my own, which is a kind of prison you build for yourself. But like, you know, it's kind of strange. You go into this room on your own and knock around. Uh, anyway, it's a, I won't go too far, but it's a weird, I mean, a, a strange state is my kids are leaving home now. You know, you, I mean, one of those kind of different transition it moments. It sure is. So, that, that, it's a biggie. Yeah. So, Geraldine, did you want to say something? Well, I, um, when you asked me the question, I kind of hadn't even thought about it, you know? And just as um, the other two were talking, I was thinking about, um, well, I mean, I do have friends. I, I, I began to think, God, I, I sound like I'm a recluse or something. I have loads of friends and I do talk to them and all that sort of thing, but I think just in the art. But then I was thinking, I'm very like you, Nick, in a way, because like tomorrow I'm going to a commemoration for the writer Dermot Healy. And Dermot, he, I, I grew up in Westmead and I'm back living in Westmead and he was from Westmead too and I knew him since I was 15 and uh, we would, he would always talk to me about painting, okay? But the reason that I felt so close to him, not that I saw him that often in latter years, but uh, was um, his first book of short stories that he brought out, he... Um, described going swimming in the canal in the Midlands, okay? And I grew up exactly, that's where we swam, all right? But I didn't think that was very romantic or anything like that. That was just ordinary life. I didn't think it would be the subject for art. Or, and I remember reading that short story where he talked about the little boys shivering and diving into the thing. And I thought, my God, you can paint about what you know. You can talk about it. So I think that probably, when the more I think about it, established in me, um, I'm mad about writers and poets and so on, and like Nick, they became my friends. And again, we probably have some mutual friends, like Leland Bardwell, Dermot Healy, and so on, who have died, and I do miss them terribly, you know what I mean? But for me, those were the people, they seemed to, they used to say to me, oh, I wish I was a visual artist, you know? You know, whereas I, 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 and they would spend hours talking to me about art and the world and so on. But then you would respond to them and their art form poetry. Well, I think it was because the, the Dermot Healy story gave me, I could clearly see the image. Mm -hmm. And it was something in my own background. And I suppose that maybe led to the attraction to the written word and of course we're very verbal in Ireland and uh, the visual arts sort of somehow are a very poor cousin, you know what I mean? You've made a very good point there about what brings you back to yourself. We very often think the exotic or whatever out there yeah, because when I was in when I was in should be doing this, yeah, because when I was in art school, uh, I was told that uh, there was no visual art in Ireland, mm. um, and that if I wanted to be an artist, I'd have to go to America or Germany. And I remember thinking this was really really odd, but at the time there was very little art history. You know, um, like people like Nicola Gordon Bow did enormous amount of work, I say, in craft and glass and Harry Clark and all these people began to realize there actually was some kind of visual uh, tradition. Um, so, um, kind of, what was I saying there? What, what's close to yourself? What's close yeah, to like, like, they, they, like some, like, <clears throat> I, 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 so I think that's probably why I, you know, got the idea that I could actually be an artist 
and it came from a writer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it came from a writer. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I still think that we have there's a strong like I mean I often notice like if you look at the Irish Times or something on a Saturday, all the reviews for writers with one book, you know what I mean? And then you look at maybe artists with 30 exhibitions and they don't even get a review. So there is still you know I'm accusing myself as well you know just leaning on the word all the time you know yeah, to describe right. things I think you're right anyway I've rambled off a little bit no, there I, no very interesting what you said I'm going to be really nitty-gritty now oh, this comes to number two um, about how you've survived just financially you know there's one thing about making the work etc etc but you have to live day by day you have to pay bills you have to you know your families you have children and that's a real struggle for most artists yeah so if you don't mind sharing well, that with me I, in fact i'm going to start with me who money yeah. money 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 uh, <clears throat> earlier on all right again i'll go back when I, when I first started, when I was young, I came to Ireland when I was 22. So I didn't know anything and I, I found little ways to make money. I, I worked a bit in Trinity in the, the job I was supposed to be doing and then I moved. I made a decision at a certain point that I would only take a job that taught me something about painting. So I ended up looking for work. I think it was much easier then. The 80s people talk about horrifically, but actually there was an openness and a, a disinterest in money, because there wasn't, there wasn't any. Nobody needed a video recorder or an iPad or 15 iPhones. And uh, we, didn't, we, didn't, we weren't connected that way. You went to Bewley's for a cup of coffee on Dole Day. But at the time, I was just so lucky, and I really feel sorry for people now. I, I, by chance, I ended up finding a studio on Temple Lane in... Uh, above what was the bike shop down below and there was Dublin Resource Centre for five pounds a week, a whole four of a factory. So you weren't supposed to live there, but I did. I was on the dole. I was able to slowly develop my painting practice with very little expense. I don't know how people do it now. It's now the New York world where you've got to have five jobs and you're trying to have a, hold the practice down. I don't think I could have been the painter I am if I hadn't come up then, because the pressures now are so much greater. But I had a good 10 years in Dublin by the time I left that place, it was in 90, maybe 92, 93, 94, I actually gave up the lease on it. it had, the rent was 15 punt a week, and I sold the lease, which enabled me to get down to Sligo to buy a house for a very small amount of money uh, at the time partly with help from parents buying the house, but it was 25 grand, the house at the time, because it was before the ceasefire, and things yet hadn't started to go funny in Ireland. So there's a big point with which things changed and money became much harder to get. Over the years, I've been lucky. I'm a painter, I make objects. I, I have a potential to sell. So that has happened in periods. I've worked with a dealer at the Rubicon Gallery for 25 years or so, in Ireland, I don't anymore, but we uh, we had a good relationship, and I had periods where I sold work, particularly when I did the began the landscape project I did in from the back of my truck. 
that was successful, I made money, but not as much as people think. It's, it's all, in a, it, one's perception of an artist being successful is often completely uh, bizarre. You, you get by. I've always reinvested everything I've made into the studio, really. I'm lucky I have a wife who has a job. We can pay the bills. I'm, you know, you know that I, I have never feared for the bottom, and you know the fall-off point. So I'm, I'm just, I feel lucky. I had parents who, at certain stages, where I was really stuck, where things went bad, they they could help out. And once I had kids, it gets even harder. And now I'm in a point where I've got two kids who want to go to, who are in college, and I'm in a most scary moment of fees and accommodation, and one who's in Dublin and going, oh my God, this is gonna be, I've gotta start making pot boilers now and flogging them in Stephen's Green. <laughs> so I don't quite know. I am very fortunate, I'm gonna be open about it. I got in in 2001 to A.S. Donna, which to me always was a miracle, even though it, to many people and from the outside, if I was outside of it, I would say it's an elitist thing and I couldn't get in. Or if you couldn't get in, you can't get in. It's a very difficult institution, but it's an amazing thing if you have it. And it sustains my studio practice. It allows me to paint at a delusional level that is not possibly sustained by the market in Ireland. It doesn't exist. Even the market doesn't exist. It's a small country with a small population unless you are somebody who is prepared to go to Germany or New York and be an artist and you've really got to go and do it. Here you are reliant somehow on other things, on Arts Council grants, supports, on a very low level. And there is no, there's no real financial way out of that, even commercially when you're doing well. It's not, even the people who do the best commercially in Ireland, it's not enough to really uh, make, make a real commercial sense. You need a much bigger, much bigger, you need to connect out into the big world, which is very, 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 very difficult if you're not very active, living in New York, living in Berlin, doing, living that roaming life and being very engaged in that way. I don't know how you do it now. It seems to me to have got much more difficult all the time. I'm lucky that I have the option of the canoeist, which is a stipend, which can literally I pay quite a lot for my studio. It is a warehouse. It's a very big warehouse. I use very expensive paints. I do that. I put everything I get from the state back into my work, and I hope and I, I hope that I give, I give it back in some way, and I'm appreciative of it. So uh, I don't know if that's... It's, it's a, there, there are many ways along the way, yeah. but the important thing when I was young, the choice was to only take a job that learn, and that often meant doing community projects, which I've kept doing through life. <coughs> My most recent one, I did a four-year pro voluntary project for which I wasn't paid because I didn't need to be because I had the canoeist in uh, the hospice in Sligo. Uh, so I would work, I worked there over four years doing a particular engagement in, in the ward. And uh, so, but they, it's, those things are things I learned from, not really, it sounds like you're doing charity work, it's not, they were things that fed me. So it's not, I was always looking for employment or schemes at different levels. The government had different kind of schemes. I used to work in City Keel on Nash down here for many, many years uh, with the kids. I always looked for anything that could teach me something. So it was self-education really and scrabbling together money and then help when I could get it from people who could help me and selling when I could. 
Susan, who's next? Um, okay. <laughs> so, hey, yeah, where do, we, where, do, where do we start with that? Um, I mean, I often think about when I was when I was young, when I was quite a young child, I always wanted to make things. That was what I wanted to do. And I had an idea when I was a child that I wanted to make things and sell them in a shop. So I always think, well, I've managed half of that because I've managed to sustain making things. The selling things, it's not, it's not how I sustain myself through, through selling my work. So probably when I left college, I came back from England, established myself in a studio in Belfast and signed on for about 10 years. Cost of living in Belfast has remained fairly cheap. Cost of studios, really, really quite reasonable. So a few years ago, when I sort of took the move down to Dublin, I really couldn't get my head around the, the cost of renting a studio in Dublin. And I'm still trying to get my head around that. Um, I did the PS1 residency in New York in 1999-2000, which was a residency that used to be sponsored by the Arts Council of Northern Ireland and Ireland, where an artist um, lived in New York for a year, had a studio, had an apartment, had a monthly stipend. Unfortunately, that's gone. But at that point, I thought, right, when I go back to Ireland, I'm going to really try not to sign on again and, and see what can happen next. By chance, I was asked to do a day's work teaching an NCAD. I'd done some visiting, lecturing, teaching for a few years before that. Um, and that day, I thought I was just going down for a day's teaching, and then they said, oh, no, 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 we want you to do a day a week. So that day a week led to a day a week for about um, seven years, and then I had the opportunity when somebody was on maternity leave to coordinate the MA at NCAD for a year. And then another sort of, you know, chance and opportunity and luck, a position for a full-time lecturer came up um, nearly about 10 years ago. So. Um, so how I sustain myself is um, through through my teaching, essentially, um, and I, I understand that's kind of very privileged. And I also understand there's a strange thing that happens when certain people get jobs in teaching; they sort of hold and they lock into those positions for 30 years, and you can see that generationally. The people above you who have maybe been there for 30 years, then you're there, you're going to be, and so there are all these other sort of generations who, who often don't get the chance to get in, um, which, which I think is something really problematic about the, the systems and within Ireland as well. We have a limited amount of colleges and, and teaching opportunities as well. Um, one, one of the things about uh, teaching though and teaching full time is it uh, doesn't leave a lot of time for your work. So I've also laterally reduced my teaching and I'm currently on a career break. Uh, which has you know, given me a new opportunity to focus in on my practice. But there are other things that have enabled me to develop my work, which are awards from the, the Arts Council, and um, particularly one which has been really beneficial to me, which is through the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, which I, I have had in the past, is um, funding for self-initiated residencies. So I have set up... Um, Rather than doing something which is a residency that specifically exists, I have, I have applied and highlighted that I want to work with a particular archive. So I, you know, I've done that in the past, working with an archive at Duke University in America, and, and that's been funded and supported through that particular award. So in you know, fit, trying to figure out how to, how to get the things that you, you want to do to fit in with the opportunities that are there, I think is really... Mm important. Um, so, I mean, at the moment, I'm 
I suppose you'd call it between studios. I had a four month or four year studio at Tampa Bar, six month studio at the RHA, and I'm one of many people now who's kind of trying to figure out the next the next studio. So as well as um, you know, kind of, I suppose, supporting yourself financially. There are all, all those other things that that become difficult when you live in a in a big city as well. So, you know, I think I think decisions about where you live are, you know, are really, you know, those are things which which affect kind of financially how you can operate um, as well. So, um, I mean, you know, I don't know with with teaching that has also enabled me some freedom about taking off pressure of uh, an expectation to bring in money through selling my work which yeah. the nature of my practice film and installation yeah. is well it's it's quite diff you know it's quite difficult and, and on any sustained level would be particularly hard so it does it has allowed me freedom to be very experimental as well with my practice um, and then equally, my, my teaching is something which is a really important part of my practice, I, I suppose. And, and um, so, um, yeah, so being able to do something which is close to the work is, is, is important. But, you know, it's still, yeah, it's still, you know, to then also fund projects is something as well, Absolutely. to fund the making of things, yeah. you know. Um, so you're constantly trying to figure out, yeah, how, how, to, um, how, how to enable projects to happen, how to fund them. Um, so certainly residencies are something that I particularly enjoy and for me as well because I've limited time outside of my teaching position. That's something then that I try and focus on as well. Yeah. Thanks, Susan. Well, yeah. Well, I came to Dublin when I was 15, and uh, I worked in the bank, so I always had to earn my own living. But I still wanted to go to art school, so when I went to art school. I, you know, I, I was making a list, and I, I was kind of laughing at all the different jobs I've actually done. But over the years, I tried to make them as close or art-related as possible. So, uh, although sometimes I found that a little bit soul-destroying. Like I was an art administrator for the Cork 800 events. And uh, so I, I think it was 350 artists in the show that we put on. And so I was busy looking at other people's work and that made me very jealous, you know, because I was actually administrating it. And because of nepotism, I couldn't put my work into it, you know. So uh, sometimes, you know, maybe working on a very art related type job um, can be a little bit frustrating if you actually want to make art yourself. But um, I've done a lot of residencies. I've had, one of the best things I think I ever had was a Fulbright scholarship to America. Uh, I was living in America for about six years and uh, I actually went on um, a visa, a work visa, to work for a mural company who had, I'd given a talk to the year before and when I got there, there was no job. Uh, so I was stuck because I, don't, I didn't even have a return ticket. But I somehow, um, something that was said to me by the person who brought me over under false pretenses um, uh, called me a poor little emigrant who should be glad of anything, okay? And I had never considered my an, em an emigrant, uh, so I got involved in an emigration group. And I did a lot of research and applied for a Fulbright and discovered I really liked doing research. And I spent a year at a, a library in New York University researching Irish emigration to America after the famine. And I did a whole series of work based on emigrants' letters as a result. And that kind of set me back into the kind of fine art painting, you know, sort of uh, area, you know. So um, th those scholarships are actually advertised right now for people, and it is a fantastic opportunity. Now, people who don't know Fulbright here in Ireland, but when you get to America and you say Fulbright, 
they nearly bow down in front of you. I couldn't believe it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very, very prestigious when you get there. So, um, I, I mean, I, I was involved in the beginning of the community arts movement when, when it used to be called CAFE. Because um, when I came out of art school, um, I didn't feel like I had enough skills and there was very little infrastructure around the arts. So I got very involved in the community arts movement and that has now morphed into CREATE. Oh, you, you know what I mean? So um, I've done a lot of lecturing, a lot of teaching, uh, those sort of things. I've always had to kind of supplement my um, art making. Yeah. And I, I never was a commercial success, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And then, as I said, I always followed my own road, that if something interests me, I pursued it. So if you look at the career, you couldn't say, you couldn't say maybe that's a Geraldine O'Reilly all the time, you know what I mean? Because like I've done photography and photo etching and painting and drawing and you know, uh, various different things, but um, I've always had to support it by other things. I think probably the best job is teaching. I've found, I, I get a lot of feedback from students. I enjoy the, pro the, the teaching experience. It's an interesting point that all three of you have made, and this is from three very established artists, you know, who are very well recognized that during your lifetime, actually living off your work or making you know, it, it is impossible in one way, you know, completely impossible. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, you all know this, but I mean, when you really hear it this way, it's, it's very interesting. Um, there, there was something else that I wanted to notice, which I have genuinely started to notice in the last couple yeah. of years, which is something that a lot of artists have been lobbying for. VAI has been lobbying for it, and it's for an increase in uh, uh, galleries and museums paying exhibition fees yes. for participation in exhibitions. Now, I've, I've been in a number of shows over the last couple of years where that has been a given that there is some amount of fee being paid that didn't used to be the case. Yeah. You know, so that's fantastic to, yeah. to, sit, you know, to see that really starting to be much more of a given yeah. and that is so important. And I think it's probably more than just the money, it's, it's a respect thing. Mm. You, yeah. you know, you, you put everything you have into it. There's a lot of other people with jobs on the back of artists. Yeah. Yes. And the fact that you're getting such a tiny amount. Well, normally you're the last person to get paid, you're if at all, exactly. Yeah. And it just. So, so that is really, that is something that really is going in the right direction. I mean, yeah. another thing, which it's it's not loads, but it, it, is, it is some money, mm -hmm. is um, things like um, the return, which is uh, administered by Avaro and. That's right. um, well, copyright. And payback, as it called, by DAX in the UK, which are, which, you know, if you ever have images of your work in publications, you can fill in a very simple online form and uh, it's, it's about some, it's copyright money's being distributed and sort of, it's, it's not free money, it's money that you are due, but it's, it's like, right. yeah, it, it is something there that, so that again, which is another kind of recognition, um, is, yeah, you know, I, th I think it's really important that people know about. Um, yeah, because Ivoro is part of the VAI and it works quietly and consistently. I'm trying to see is anybody here who works with them. Um, and a lot of artists don't realise that and they really are very approachable and it's very simple to, to do it. So be aware of that. Uh, what I want to do now is, first of all, I want to say thank you so much to all three of you for your honesty, your straightforwardness. Thank you.